So Money episode 881, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Michael Reynolds. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. May 3rd, we made it to May. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. We have a lot of questions today uh, to to tackle. We have a special co-host I'm going to introduce very shortly. Uh, Just a couple updates for you. If this is the first time you're tuning in this week... I would recommend you go back and listen to Monday and Wednesday's interview episodes. Monday, we had on the show David Bach, who is a, at this point, uh, he's a, uh, an honorary member of the So Money team. He's been on the show multiple times. He's just a prolific writer and he's always got interesting work coming out. So always a good opportunity to have him on the show. As you may or may not know, David is a nine time New York Times bestselling author. His most recent book is called The Latte Factor. If any of you ever have heard like give up your latte or, you know, the whole like sort of like latte analogy when it comes to personal finance and savings advice. David is the grandfather of that. David coined that phrase. And it's it's a little bit of a controversial, you know, topic. I suppose people don't want to give up their lattes or people argue, you know, what's $5 a day or whatever, like when we can get rid of some of our bigger expenses. So anywho, he has in his latest uh, book, kind of talked about talks about um, financial freedom, but this is a really uh, different kind of book for David. You know, mostly he writes these nonfiction prescriptive books and this new book is a narrative. It's a, it's a fiction story. Of course, it has a lot of great financial advice in it uh, as it's written by David Bach, but it's more of a tale um, as a way to sort of, you know, bring in new audiences, new readers. People love to sort of escape into a book. And uh, we congratulate David on that. The book just came out this week. So check it out, The Latte Factor. And then Wednesday, we had on one of the most accomplished television anchors, female television journalists, Kate Snow. You may have seen her on NBC. She's all over the network. She's on MSNBC. She's hosts NBC Nightly News Sundays. She covers everything from elections to uh, mental health issues. She's an Emmy award-winning journalist and also the breadwinner in her marriage. So Kate was uh, very gracious and generous and sharing a lot about her career, the behind the scenes of her work, but also you know how she manages money in her relationship. Inquiring minds wanted to know and she definitely went there with us. So we appreciate Kate for coming on the show. That was Wednesday. Today we have a listener on the show as a co-host and he is also a financial expert, Michael Reynolds, who is a principal of Elevation Financial. He has founded slash co-founded uh, a number of successful businesses, including a training company, a software company, a virtual staffing firm. Um, he, today, he's in the financial services industry, and he became licensed to help people with investments and financial needs, mainly as just a passion project. And specifically, now he works with entrepreneurs, and he's a listener. Listener of the show, honored to have someone like him in the audience. Michael, welcome to So Money. Thanks, Farnoosh. I'm really happy to be here. 
So tell us about your transition to personal finance, given your background in starting a bunch of companies, pivoting to giving financial advice. This was a passion of yours? Yeah, yeah. So in 1996, I co-founded a digital marketing agency and then for two decades have owned that and sold it last year. And at the same time, kind of co-founded some other companies. And so I call myself a parallel entrepreneur. And there's actually a book out there if you want to read it. It's kind of a, a cool book about parallel entrepreneurship and running multiple companies successfully at the same time and using them as kind of lifestyle um, support mechanisms to kind of enrich your life. And so, um, yeah, about five years ago, I really got the passion and the itch to work in personal finance. And I mean, as you know, money touches everything in our lives foundationally. It's kind of the the driving force behind all these decisions and opportunities we have in our lives. And so it's, it's so important. And I just really want to help people take it more seriously and get comfortable with money and comfortable mm-hmm. taking control of their money. So yeah, I kind of went from there. Specifically, you help entrepreneurs. That's your focus, your target market. And I do. I guess you come to this with entrepreneurial experience. What is one thing that you think is um, sort of a lesser known strategy or a big problem that entrepreneurs specifically have with their money and a solution that you provide that you think is unique? Sure. Well, the list is very long, as you might expect. But uh, (laughs) one thing I see is that when they're starting a business, a lot of entrepreneurs, they kind of – maybe they're leaving a corporate job or leaving the corporate world and they've left their 401k behind and they kind of unplug their mindset of retirement savings because they're starting a business and they never get around to plugging it back in. So they might start their business, get all excited, put their 401k on hold because maybe they don't have one anymore and – And they spend the next five years focusing so much on growing their business that they've lost ground in saving. And so I really like to help people not think of their business as their retirement, but think of their business as a tool to get there, but also Mm -hmm. to not give up on the, the savings plan. Well, speaking of 401ks, we do have a question that came through on Instagram from Christina, and it's about 401ks. And she says that she recently accepted a new position that is a move upwards in my career, which is great. Congratulations, Christina. But the company offers a 401k with no match, which isn't, unfortunately, that's not uncommon. I think it's always a a delight when I find out that a company offers a 401k match. But they do, she says, they do offer stock options. So she has a question for us, which is, can we please explain the value of stock options and invest investing rather? And um, she's also thinking about contributing to a Roth IRA um, instead of the 401k. Uh, How much should I contribute per pay period? Um, I'll take that second question first, and then I don't know a whole lot about stock options. I think this is more your universe, but I mean, I think that a Roth IRA is a great uh, investment strategy for retirement and or, you know, other long-term goals. As we know, a Roth IRA is designed in such a way where you can take out your contributions penalty-free after a while um, for the purposes of, you know, supporting other financial goals, whether that's, you know, buying a house or paying for college, et cetera. So people like the flexibility with a Roth IRA. The issue is really like if it's really about either or, which I I kind of like to be able to do both here, but if she's trying to figure out either or, um, it, it's sort of uh, two questions here, right? One is wh- where does she see her tax situation going? You know, if you think that your taxes are going to increase in retirement, then perhaps um, 
a Roth IRA would make sense now because as you know, a Roth IRA, you can make those withdrawals in retirement tax-free. Um, but the other question is, you know, how much does she need to be saving every year uh, to meet her retirement goals? With a Roth IRA, you're capped at this year, I believe it's at 5,500, um, right? Or is it 6,000? 6,000. 6,000, right. Mm-hmm. It changed. And then with the 401k, you have um, almost triple that. Uh, so it's it's sort of a calculation that she needs to make. Is she going to be behind if she's simply just investing in a Roth IRA, if she's simply just maxing out her Roth IRA? Um, is there anything else she needs to consider with that either or scenario? Yeah, I actually kind of like it as a potentially a, a both scenario, kind of like you alluded to. So with stock options, so stock options are kind of nice sometimes. They give the employee the option to buy company stock at a preferred price, and then they can turn around and sell it at market price. So in theory, they make a profit because they get a a better price buying the stock. And then ideally, the market price is going to be higher when they sell it. So they make a a profit immediately on that sale. The the issue is if you're going to hold on to it, uh, then it kind of depends on the company. So I don't know where this person works. If Christina, if you work at, you know, Google, Apple or Microsoft, then yeah, your stock probably has a bright future. Um, If you're at you know, a different company, you know, Sears, for example, maybe not. <laughs> it kind of depends on, you know, where where this company is going and, and the the what company specifically you're at and so what kind of stock you're you're getting. So uh, it can be a nice thing, but you might want to consider uh, if you feel like the stock in your company, like the options actually have some strengths to them and it's actually a worthwhile investment, then you know maybe go up to the match. If they're matching in stock, go up to the match in your 401k and then turn around and put the rest in your Roth. And I'm with you, Varnish. I love Roth IRAs. It's like the cornerstone of personal retirement. It's flexible. Um, it's not tied to a company. You take it with you. You've got a gazillion retirement you know, fund options. I love Roth IRAs. So I'm with you. Yeah. And I think going back to just first figuring out what your retirement needs Maybe doing those projections, there are calculators online and uh, you can kind of figure out how to reverse engineer your savings plan. You can go to sites like choose to save.org, AARP, Nerd Wallet, Bankrate. There's a lot of different tools out there. Schwab has a retirement calculator. And so it might help to start there because from there you might be able to see how much you on average should be saving every month. And if your 401k doesn't offer a match, maybe it doesn't make sense to sort of max that out, but perhaps better to do a Roth IRA because maybe it is that you only need to save, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars a year to meet your future retirement goals. And a Roth IRA can be that vehicle for you. Uh, yeah, but my favorite is the nerd wallet. What's that? I, I like. Oh, sorry. I like NerdWallet's uh, retirement yeah. calculator. It's really user-friendly. It lets you kind of plug in stuff in a really easy way and gives you graphs and everything. So I like the NerdWallet calculator. There you go. Yeah. NerdWallet's fantastic. They have a lot of different calculators. So Christina, good luck to you and let us know how things pan out and if we can help further. All right. Another question on Instagram. By the way, Michael, are you on Instagram? I am. What's Instagram your handle? So really, we can all follow you. Is, yeah, it's M-B-R-E-Y-N-O. It's kind of the um, M and then uh, my last name kind of shortened there. And all I use Instagram for is pictures of my family. So you'll see it, like nothing <laughs> but pictures of my four-year-old son oh. and his antics and fun stuff. So feel free to follow me, but um, be warned, it's just like my four-year-old's antics. Well, <laughs> I have a four-year-old and there's no shortage of antics, that's for I sure. I know. <laughs> All right. So Nightingale PDX has a question, says, I'm 46 years old, self-employed. I have a five-year-old and I own my own home. 
I have $206,000 in student loans. The interest rate is roughly 6%. Last year, this person made $90,000 after taxes. Um, sorry, uh, $90,000 and then $51,000, I guess, net. I think they had it reversed here. They had $90,000 net, $51,000 AGI, but I think uh, – it's the other way around. So $51,000 sounds like the take home. Um, they have $10,000 in a Roth, no other debt. This person's financial advisor is telling uh, him, her to continue on the interest, uh, sorry, the income-based repayment program, which they started, and until they get to the 25-year debt forgiveness point. In the meantime, they were advised to save money for the tax bomb that will occur then, because there is a bit of a tax burden with IBR, and then save for retirement versus hustle to pay off the student loans. So long story short, I think what this person's getting at is they've got $206,000 in student loans, a 6% interest rate. They're currently on the income-based repayment program, which is a government program for federal loan borrowers, which allows you to pay a percentage of your income towards the student loans it's a 25-year program. If you arrive at 25 years with still some debt left over, then that's forgiven, but it's also considered taxable. So you have to prepare for that potential. And so this person's financial advisor is saying, just stay that course and deal kind of with, cross that bridge if and when it happens, that financial bridge. In the meantime, important to put money towards retirement. Um, and I'm wondering, I guess, uh, from your perspective, Michael, do you agree with this advisor? Is there anything else for this person that we can provide? It just sounds like they're a kind of emotionally uh, unnerved by this. Yeah, I have uh, tons of thoughts on this. So let me try to get through it quickly. <laughs> so first of all, I, I hate debt. That's kind of the lens I'm looking through this um, right now. But there's two reasonable options here that I see. One is the option they've presented. The financial advisor is saying, hey, let's look at the math. And math is telling me, let's just kind of stay the course. And, and that has some logic to it. The, the problem with that kind of extreme first example is if you're just paying the minimum – on the debt, you're, you're in debt until you're 65. That's, that's a long time. I just, mm -hmm. being in debt 25 years is just, that's a drag. I just, I don't know if I could get behind that. So the other issue is I'm not sure that I would want to take on the risk of hoping that this program works out in 25 years. Mm -hmm. Um, in some programs, missing a payment or not being on time can invalidate the whole program. Uh, forgiveness is not necessarily automatic in many cases. Once you get to that 25-year mark, you have to, re have to apply for it and hope you get it. Um, and then you know, often each year, you have to recertify your income level and your family size, and that way your payment actually might change. So your circumstances may change. And so there's so many variables that might lead to this forgiveness program not actually working out the way you think it's going to. So – with that, that's that's some risky um, kind of things to consider there. So I would say this is a matter, again, of extremes. Extreme one is that kind of stay the course, long-term thing. To me, you've got to look at a, a second model, which is extreme number two, which is knock it out as quickly as possible. I took this person at their word and assumed they were making 90K net. I kind of just um, – maybe that's wrong, but I kind of took that as 90K net, which means that if they live on 40K a year and put 50000 a year toward debt, they're debt-free in four years, uh, that gives you the freedom to be debt-free and, and – 
that risk is eliminated. And if you start maxing out a solo 401k, this person is self-employed, so they can use a solo 401k, for example. So if they max out a solo 401k starting at age 50, um, at retirement age, they'll have about a million dollars. And if you're debt-free with a million dollars, you're probably going to be okay. And the other factor is in looking at the language used by this listener, I feel like they want to hustle. I mean the language used yeah. is you know, hey, versus hustling to pay off the student loan. Using that terminology says they want to do it. And if you're self-employed, you have the potential to earn more money by growing your business. So all those factors put together really lean me toward just aggressively knocking it out and getting that off the table. Right, right. Um, no, that's good. I, I love that you picked up on that because I, I kind of agree with that too. It's one of the beauties of being self-employed is that um, – and it's why a lot of people become self-employed is that they can have more control over their income potential, right? Um, on the one yeah. hand, it's not as maybe guaranteed, but on the other hand, um, there's no stopping you, right? From going out there and trying to earn what you want and need to earn. And there's nothing I feel like that fuels at least me to go out there and earn more money than knowing that I have some big financial obligations on my plate, right? I want to. Yeah, very motivating. I want to hustle. I'm, I'm thinking about that for me right now. As I've got, you know, uh, this this big company that I'm trying to grow, um, and it has a lot of expenses, and we're self funding it. And I'm like, okay, need to go out there and you know, do some more workshops, or you know, maybe start another podcast. I don't know, but there's, there's no <laughs> stopping me. Uh, but so thank you for pointing that out, because and that's why you're a great financial advisors because you're picking up on some of these emotional nuances that was sort of like reading between the lines. And that's what makes, I think, um, a great the difference between a great financial advisor and a good one. And you're a great one. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. So let me uh, get to this next question from Nelly on Instagram. She said, oh, this is a good one because I think a lot of people are in this camp. After filing our 2018 taxes and not getting the federal return we expected as homeowners, my tax accountant said I should stop contributing to my Roth 401k so we can lower our taxable income and fall into a better tax bracket. What do you think about this? So on the... so. I guess a lot of people are – I'm hearing a lot from people who are um, just – they're just confused by why in some cases their taxes went up this year or I should say in 2018. Um, and in this case, this person, Nellie, is just wondering if it's a, if it's sound advice to stop contributing to retirement all for the purpose of you know having a lower tax bill today. It sort of seems like a little bit of a short-sighted piece of advice. Yeah, I kind of took this as I read between I could be wrong, but I kind of read between the lines and assumed they meant their accountant wants them to stop contributing to Roth and start contributing to traditional um to get that tax deduction. So that's kind of what I interpreted. I could be wrong, but if that's correct, I'm not sure I agree with that. I really don't agree with that. And the reason why is so accountants and tax people are great at their jobs and that they're trying to save you taxes right now. Their, their view is like, hey, how do I save my client taxes this year? And that's really – that's great. That's what they are being paid to do and they're really good at that. Uh, the issue is you want to also think long term and long term – do you want to be paying taxes on all that growth down the road? And I, I typically I would not want to. So I kind of use the seed in the harvest analogy. A lot of people use this, but if you're a farmer, would you rather pay taxes on the seeds right now or the harvest later, which is worth a lot more? And obviously people would say, well, I'd rather pay taxes now on the seeds. They're worth a few pennies, but the harvest is worth, you know, a lot of money later on. So I would always in general, that's 
oxymoron. I would in general <laughs> want to invest in Roth because I want all that growth to be tax-free later on. I'm willing to pay a little more in taxes now um, to get that advantage later on. So I'm thinking about the future usually more than just kind of a quick win on short-term taxes. There's always exceptions, but in general, that's the way I'd like to look at it. And and just maybe sidebar talking about the tax changes. I know that for a while, a lot of us couldn't predict the general impact that the, that the tax law changes were going to have on the average person's tax bill because you know it was still sifting itself, sorting itself out. But now we know because people are either paying more or getting a refund. What's been your um, understanding of the impact of the tax law changes? I guess from your perspective on self-employed people, entrepreneurs. Um, well, first of all, I'm not an expert on taxes. That's not really my thing. Sure. Um, my account is even confused by it, so I don't feel quite so bad. <laughs> um, my account's been saying, hey, they're still trying to figure it out. Like basically, the tax tables are not really figured out yet. And my experience has been I actually saved money. I actually paid um, less in taxes. Um, some people are saying they paid more. So it's still very confusing. Um, so I think some people are just like I said, we're all just trying to figure it out. Okay. So last question is here from Sam, also on Instagram. By the way, if you're wondering why all these questions are coming from Instagram, it's because that's the direction I I lead people to. Go to Barnoosh Tarabi on Instagram. Follow me there. Direct message me there. That's usually where I lift a lot of these questions for the Friday episodes. That said, you can also, if you're not an Instagram person, you can go on somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh and leave a voicemail or type in your question. I also definitely look there for your inquiries. Okay. So, but Sam wants to know uh, why she and her husband owe over $4,000 in federal tax bills this year, but in previous years, we've received refunds. So here's maybe where we could find some, some answers. They're recently married. They're a two-wage earner household with no property or children. And she knows that some laws change, but doesn't understand fully and wondering if others are feeling the shock as well. Um, and also, she just would like to know how to maximize her tax deductions in future years because she finds it confusing. So I have a theory. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not a CPA. That's my disclaimer <laughs> again. Right. But I have a theory. And again, there's so many factors without knowing more details. It's really hard to kind of diagnose. But one theory is that when you combine your incomes on a joint return, they say they're recently married. So if they got married within the past year and their first – tax filing is now joint, the the combined income could have pushed them into a higher tax bracket. So that's one one issue that could be a factor here. So without knowing more details, it's really hard to tell, but that could be something to, to consider. Right. And as far as ways to maximize their tax deductions going forward, I mean, I think that contributing to retirement helps. I think that um, having kids, although not the reason to have kids, but <laughs> <laughs> dependents can sometimes reduce your taxable income. There's also special credits and deductions for parents that are, um, for families rather. Um, and so there is that. And and I think you're right. There, there may be some exploration worth having around whether you file jointly or married filing separate, right? Yeah, I would talk to your CPA. I mean, these are the kinds of questions that without more details, it's really hard to tell what the best route is and what's going on. So it's just a theory, but that could be something to explore. Okay. Well, so um, what is your financial goal for this year, Michael? 2019 is almost halfway through. Do you set financial goals for yourself? Actually, I don't, and here's why. So I don't set financial goals because I there's different kinds of people, and some 
people are very motivated by like a big money target on the wall or something. I'm more motivated by creating habits. Um, so my personality style is that if I have a big, you know, target on the wall, it's like, Oh, how do I get there? And it's kind of scary sometimes. So I would rather say, okay, how do I get there? Let's, let's put a cookbook together and kind of a recipe to get there. And Mm -hmm. that, that might be, Hey, I'm going to do a podcast every week. I'm going to blog, you know, uh, X number of times per time period or whatever. I'm going to, you know, do these five activities that connect me with people. I'm going to do all these things. And I'm just going to focus on the recipe. And by focusing on the recipe, I can, those will lead to predictable results, which will get me to that end goal. So that's kind of a roundabout way of saying, like, I have kind of an idea of what I want, but I'm I'm focused more on the, the recipe of the cookbook to get there, because that helps me actually get there more than just like, you know, shooting for the moon, if that makes sense. That's just my personality type. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it, look, it's, it, you got to put it out there, right? You you have to have standards. You have to put it out there, even if they seem lofty, the, the goals seem like pie in the skies, but um, better start somewhere, you know, and just mm-hmm. have that constantly kind of, you know, uh, in your, in your face, in your mind, because um, when it's something, I just find that when something is top of mind for me, it usually is the only way it gets done. Yeah. I will say though, one goal is uh, 10 new planning clients. 10. Okay. So tell us how we can find you. Yeah, sure. Um, elevationfinancial.com is the best way. Uh, I'm all there. I'm actually working on a new website, but I've got a current website kind of up and running. It's pretty simple, but uh, uh, it does tell you a bit about me. I've got a podcast I just started this week, actually, with episode zero as kind of the intro. Uh, so episode one will start next week, and I will be inviting co-hosts on as well. So hit me up, elevationfinancial.com. Send me a note, and you can actually book a discovery call directly on my website, too, if you want to chat for, for about 30 minutes or so. Wonderful. So I'd love to chat. Thanks. Yeah, we'll find you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And thank you, Michael. I hope your weekend is so money. 